So that movie right there that we saw the clip for, Transformers, here's what it's about. It's about some really cool things that get guys to the movies. It's about cars, guns, robots, girls, and Mark Wahlberg. That's what that movie's about. <laughs> you really now have the entire plot line, all right, fully, fully disclosed to you. Uh, I, I don't know how, how familiar you are with this. There, there was a, a children's show and then a, a cartoon about Transformers years ago, and so the guys that have grown up watching that film now are paying to go to, to theaters. The bottom line is you have cars and uh, mo- mostly vehicles, and on, in one sense, they look just like a vehicle, you know, a truck, a sports car, something. But inside are all the necessary ingredients for them to transform, transform shape, uh, express different kinds of abilities, and they're actually like robot people, all right? So it's obviously based in reality. And, um, and, and the whole film is, is around their interactions with each other, their environment, uh, the people, the earth, and then obviously a, a lot of war and, and shooting and that sort of thing. Well, what, what we're going to talk about today is the, the power of God that transforms people's lives. The power of God that transforms people's lives. See, so when, we, when we commit our lives to Jesus, God deposits in us something pretty special. Um, he gives us what the Bible calls the gift of his Holy Spirit. And uh, the way the Bible describes it, it's kind of, kind of interesting. It, it, it says that when we put our faith in Jesus, we're given the first deposit or the down payment, if you will, of God's full work in us. And that down payment is the gift of his spirit. It's the imagery of a bank. You know, you're going to go buy a house. You sit down to sign the papers and you make your down payment. In one real sense, the house is fully yours. And yet you might have to take 30 or 20 or 15 years to pay for it, right? Or if you keep refinancing uh, the rest of your life, all right? And so while it's fully yours, over time, you're going to continue to add to the down payment so that over time, it fully transfers from the bank's holding of the note to your full ownership. And that's the image that the Apostle Paul uses to describe what God does to us when we first put our faith in Jesus. He gives us the deposit of his Holy Spirit that serves as a down payment in our lives. And over the course of our lives, there's a transfer happening. There's a change happening. And so the key verse for this, and I believe we've used this a couple times already this year, and so just as a way of kind of refreshing us for a key thought moving into how God transforms our life, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Here's what it says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you'll know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. There's something that God does inside of us, changing the way we think from the inside out. And when he renews our mind fully, then we radically embrace his will because we believe his will to be good and perfect. Parents, let me me ask you something. When, When you give your kids a set of instructions, rules, especially like teenage kids, and, and you're telling them, um, I want you to call me when you get there, and, and I want you to drive safe, and you know, no, no texting while you're driving. And you give them this list of rules. The, the, re- the reason you do that, I believe, like, like I do with my kids, is because you want to remind them of what's important. You care deeply for them. You've had life experience now that affects your wisdom and the way you see the world, and you're trying to, to impart that to them in hopes that they'll make great decisions for themselves. Isn't that true, parents? Now, now, here's the thing. When you give your 
list of rules and expectations to your kids. Your hope is that they'll hear it, but you know from your own experience when you were a teenager that sometimes kids have a remarkable way of discounting the wisdom and insight of their parents because they think they know better or maybe they weren't listening or maybe they're so excited. And so rather than embracing the will, the, the wisdom of their parents, Sometimes teenagers, I I did it myself, they'll embrace their own will and understanding, believing that their parents don't know enough, and if their parents fully understood everything, maybe they'd make the same decision, but they're not going to take time to explain it because they've tried to do that before and never really went well, so the kids are going to do their own thing. So if, however, your children believed that every time you spoke and everything you tried to get them to understand and know about the world and do, if they deep down believed that you were wise that you understood them, you had their best interest at heart. Not only did you have their best motivation, but you had really great insight and wisdom. In other words, if they believed your will for them came from a good place and a wise place and a thoughtful place, I have found in our parenting, Jill and I have, that it's easier for our kids then to embrace the thing we're telling them to do. That's a bit of a dance we do. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying right here is that God will transform our minds So that when we think about what he wants for us, our first thoughts are, that's a good thing. That's pleasing to me. And that's exactly what I want for myself. Thank you, God, for showing me. Now that you've explained it to me, that's exactly what I choose for me. Which is ultimately what parents want their kids to do. Is to think through things, taking their wisdom and consideration to bear, and ultimately choose for themselves what their parents want them to experience anyway. Full life relatively safe life, good, wise decisions. Now, how how does that happen? Spiritually speaking, it happens when we get changed. We don't come to this relationship with God with that full understanding, fully realized that God's will is perfect and good. We may know it here, but the translation from our heads to our hearts, sometimes that 18 inches or so, it's like 10, 15 miles. It's just very difficult sometimes to get the head knowledge and the things we say and we know to be true to be fully realized in our lives. And so when we come to the idea of how does God transform us and change us so that we embrace his good and perfect and pleasing will, the will we would choose for ourselves if we had God's wisdom, there are two big misconceptions that people rally around. Here's the first one, transformation myth, that I'm transformed by God instantly. I commit my life to him and all my thinking and all my patterns and all my ways of understanding and relating to the world and people. I'm instantly changed. Well, that's a misconception. That's not at all the way it happens. That's why the Apostle Paul writes Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and says, be transformed by the renewing, ongoing activity, the renewing of your mind. Let God change your mind about yourself and the world around you and his will. So it's not an instantaneous gift from God. I wish it were. Now, none none of the heroes of our Bible, those folks that we look to as an example, experience God's work in their lives in an immediate, once-for-all radical shift so that at that point they became perfect. It didn't happen. In fact, Paul, who writes this passage that we're looking at in another place, says this. He says that there's a good thing that I want to do, and I struggle because I don't do it. And then there are bad things that I'm trying to avoid, And I struggle because I find myself doing them. And he says, who's going to rescue me from this internal struggle that I'm having that's ultimately leading me to major chaos and difficulty? Who can rescue me from that? And his answer is, Christ Jesus can do that. 
that there's a way of interacting in our relationship with Christ where we can be free from this, I want to do good and I'm finding myself not doing it, and I want to avoid this destructive thing over here, and I find myself gravitating towards it. In our relationship with Jesus, there's a way to be transformed, but it doesn't come because God instantly zaps us and takes us to a different place where we're not touched by our old ways of thinking and relating. Here's the second myth before we get to the truth, that I'm transformed completely by my own willpower. It's all about trying harder, doing more, getting myself up, when I fall, pulling myself up by my bootstraps, and on my own, in my own strength and power, I'm going to make this happen. So sometimes when you go to some churches, they basically will encourage you on our first myth to just pray harder, pray harder, have more faith, and God will transform, and all the internal stuff goes away. And other churches seem to be try harder, work harder, do more. But that's not either one of those extremes is not the way that God ultimately transforms our lives, renews our thinking so that we embrace his wisdom and way. Now, here's the truth. The transformation truth is, is I am and you are transformed by cooperating with God's work in me. This is a really good thing. It's a really good thing because when God begins a work, ultimately it gets completed. I mean, if, if the Bible's clear about anything, it's that what God ultimately wants to have happen will happen. Now, I don't understand mechanically how he makes all that happen. Sometimes he seems to go the long way around, and sometimes I want him to take a direct path, and he doesn't seem to want to do that. But the Bible's pretty clear that God's will tends to happen. That's why he's God. And the biblical word for that is sovereignty. He's in control. But the good news for us is that if God's begun something in us, if he's put a down payment in our soul, he's going to complete the thing. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. It's God in you. And over time, he's giving you the desire to obey his way. And the power then, so it's not just a call to do it, but it's an empowerment to come along. It's that renewing of the mind in the way of thinking, but not just changing our mind and saying, now go try, but the power of God coming alongside of us to do the thing. Now, there's a biblical word for this whole process of transformation that um, we don't use a lot around here because it has multiple syllables, but I think you guys are are capable of understanding this. That's a little, you know, understatement there. Obviously, you're capable of understanding this. All right, so it's called, are you ready for this big word? Sanctification. Sanctification. It's just simply the process that God takes us through to shape us more into the image of his son, Jesus. See, that's what God wants for all of us. He wants us to be more made into the image of his son. That's why a few years ago, uh, it was a very, very good thing, um, kind of maybe overdone on a marketing scale, but everybody began to wear those little rubber wristbands that had WWJD on them, right? What would Jesus do? Well, the motivation behind that is is for us to start thinking about what would Jesus do if he were faced with the same set of circumstances that I'm faced with. And that process of thinking through that for the believer, for the person who has the faith in Jesus, that begins to transform their mind, renew them. It is a part of the sanctification process, where God is over time renewing and transforming and changing us. So how do we then cooperate with what God wants for us 
so that he makes us more into the image of his son, so that his power is free to work in us, so that our mind is renewed, and we fully embrace the basic idea that God's heart for us is good. He cares deeply, and he knows what's best, and he can see the future even though we can't. And what he wants for us is really what we would choose for ourselves if we had all the wisdom and insight that God has. How do we participate with that? Here's a couple of ideas. First one, when we pray for God to help us become fully developing followers of Jesus, we're beginning to partner with him in the sanctification process of our lives. We just pray for God to help you become a fully developing follower of Jesus. Here's what this prayer says. God, I know I'm not all the way there. You know, can I tell you when I pray that prayer? When something I've done has resulted in some fruit in my life that I'm not enjoying the fruit. Now, the thing I did, it never, never bothered me, never thought about it, whatever. But now it's produced some fruit in my life that's uncomfortable, not where I want to be, not enjoyable. And I experienced the fruit. It's at that point when I'm over here, not when I did the thing, but when I experienced the results of it, that I start thinking, God, I, I think I'm ready for you to help me. You know, I think, I think you know, over here, I really wasn't wanting to listen. It didn't feel like I needed to, and even on my active conscious mind. But now that I'm over here in this place, the result of those things, when I wasn't thinking about you, now I'm ready to listen. And it's in those moments that I can be convinced very quickly, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not fully there. I'm not a fully developed follower of Jesus. There's some gaps. Some gaps in my activities, my words, my thinking. And it's in those moments that I am easily convinced that I need to pray and say, God, it's obvious you're not done with me. Now, I experience it when I have the fruit. Guess when my wife experiences that I need the work done in me? Way back over here. I bet that's true for you too. I bet you have people around you who would say, hey, in a few weeks, months, days, hours, 10 minutes from now, you're going to discover that what you just did wasn't good, right? Right? So, so, what, so, what, so what God does for us is he puts some people in our lives, sometimes that can help speak into us so that we can get to that point more quickly where we realize that we have some growing to do. Now, conceptually, here's the thing. Everybody in the room right now, everybody knows they have some growing to do. You do, I do, we all do. And that's an easy and safe conversation to have until you start drilling down on exactly what you need to specifically grow on and in and in that category. It, it's very easy to conceptually agree with this. Let me tell you something else that's very easy about the idea that everybody needs to grow. It's very easy for you to point a finger at me and me to point a finger at you and say, here's where you need to grow. You know where it's hard? When you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, all right, now where do I need to grow? That's where the prayer thing kicks in. God, I know I'm not fully developed. So would you continue to develop me? Would you show me how to participate? Would you keep my heart humble? Would you make me a willing learner as best as you can? So Jesus in John chapter 17 says this, my prayer, he's talking uh, to the heavenly father about his followers. My prayer, God, is not that you take my followers out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, from our enemy. And my followers, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the, the world. So would you sanctify them? Would you set them apart? Would you complete this process in them by your truth? And your word is truth. Jesus says that there's something about the truth and the way it interacts in our life 
that helps us move forward on this sanctification process, on this development process? Well, there's truth, and then there's the truth we're willing to hear. And that's where prayer becomes a big part of the sanctification process. So, number one, just pray and say, God, would you help me? Press into becoming more of a follower of you. And don't do like I do. Don't wait until you're experiencing the downside of your choices and words and actions. And build that into your life as a habit. God, I know I'm not developing, and today I'm open for you to show me how you would like to continue to, ve- to develop me as your follower. So here, here's our second thing we'd say. Is that we can fix our thoughts. Fix our thoughts. Now, I, I like this phrase because it's a biblical phrase. It implies that sometimes our thoughts are broken. Now, last week I talked about strongholds, lies that we believe, and we act on them as if they're true, and when we do, they produce damage in our lives. If you didn't hear that, go back and catch it. Um, it it's essential, I think, to understanding the work of God in our lives. So, so what, what the Holy Spirit uh, gives us an opportunity to do as, as the, the deposit in our life of a relationship with God is, is he gives us regular opportunity to literally fix the broken thoughts. There's another way in which we use the word th- fix, and that is to set, to like secure our thoughts, to both repair and secure our thoughts. So in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, here's what the Bible says to us. Be careful what you think. For your life is shaped by your thoughts, how you see the world, how you think about yourself, how you think about others. That tends to impact everything we say and do and feel and, and, and relate. So be careful then. To take some inventory on occasion. Where, where are my thoughts? So be careful how you think. And then in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians that we have the ability with God helping us to fix our mind on the true things, on the pure things, on the right things. Now, this is more than just think happy thoughts, although that's kind of connected. It's embrace the world as it is and then choose to fix your thoughts on the God side of the equation. We can all see the spectrum and choose to fix your thoughts on what God's doing. Project God into the situation. Look for where he might be active. So we pray and say, God, I'm not fully developing. Keep me humble about that, but continue to develop me. And then we fix our thoughts around the God stuff. We can see the whole spectrum, but let's fix our minds and thoughts on what is pure and right and noble and true and just. And then number three, we can think wisely about the environment we're in. We can pray. We can begin to fix our thoughts, which means both repair and set them. And then number three, we can think wisely about the environments that we operated in, that we operate in. I mean, all day long, you and I are in environments that have an impact on us. We both impact our environment and the environment impacts us. And the ability to see the impact that the environment has on us And to think clearly then about the impact we might have on our environment, that's a part of this sanctification process of becoming more of a fully developed follower of Jesus. That's what Jill's doing when she says, I want to go to the Philippines and let God use me to help people experience real love now. I want to impact my environment. That's why we send people out, hopefully, with kind, considerate Christians engaging the world around them. 
friendly people is the simple way of saying that. So there are two big questions to ask yourself about the environment that you're in. So it's your school, it's your friend, it's your work, it's the things you can choose, the environments you can choose to be in, and sometimes the environments you can't choose to be in. All right, so here's the first question to ask and evaluate in our environments. Does this environment tempt or strengthen me? Does this environment tempt me in the wrong direction or does it strengthen me in the right direction? I believe every follower of Jesus needs a handful of people around them who are encouraging them in the direction of the Lord. That's why we do small groups around here. Three times a year, we we launch them. We just came through that. And if by chance you missed it, there's a table right outside in our lobby where you can pick up an abbreviated catalog and all the offerings that are still open for the summer. So if you've missed that, but our hope for you is that you would have a group of people around you, surrounding you saying, go, you can do it. Stay with God. Now, some of you are fortunate to have some of those folks at work. Some of you, you do not have that. It's okay. You and I are going to have to operate in some environments where we're tempted, where we're pulled in the other direction. And it's okay. You'll, you'll be fine. But knowing that, evaluating that, then gives you the tools to set your mind, fix your prayers, and participate with God fully, even in an environment where you're tempted. One more time, parents. Do you remember when you were teens? You couldn't see it then, but now you can see it. How that sometimes the friend group you hung around with wasn't really good for you. Some people tried to tell you that, but you weren't open to it. But now that you have kids of your own, you're very open to considering the idea that maybe some people would have a negative impact on your kids. Now, same thing happens spiritually. There are some environments that we should be avoiding and some we should be running towards. All right, and here's the second question about our environments. Are the current people in my life, are they accomplices or are they friends? Are they accomplices or are they friends? And that word accomplice, uh, it has a, a negative connotation, doesn't it? Are they friends pulling me where I should go? Are they encouraging me in the right direction? Or when I hang around them, do I come away with funny but ultimately damaging stories? There's two ways to think about that because we can pray, we can fix our thoughts, and we can think wisely about our environments so that we can more fully participate with what God wants to do in our lives. Here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Let me share with you a fourth thing we can do to fully participate in God's sanctification work in our lives. We can value God's word by being teachable. We can value God's word by being teachable. Now, I don't even know if teachable is a full word, uh, like a legitimate, you know, um, but I think it communicates what I'm trying to say. There's a way of approaching the Bible, God's word, God's truth, where you're open to receive it and you're willing to receive what it speaks to you. That's what I mean when I say by being teachable with God's word. So it's the idea, for instance, of coming to church and knowing that you're going to hear God's word delivered. And so some point in your morning routine, whether you say it actively or not, it's not the point, but there's the idea, the understanding that you're going to be presented God's word today. And are you open to hear it for you? I joke about this stuff a lot, but the truth is that sometimes I come and I'm really eager for the word that's delivered in a church environment. I'm really eager for that word because I'm praying to God my wife will hear it, right? 
or my kids will hear it. You know how often I hear, if I could just get my kids to come to church, they really needed that message. And that's fine to a point. Like, in fact, that's, that's appropriate care and consideration. But are you open to receiving the truth that God wants you to hear? There's a way of participating with God more fully in his development in our lives where we come with an open and teachable heart. In just a few weeks when we finish up this message series and I talk about dealing with difficult people, I'm going to show you kind of an evaluative tool to use to ask yourself, are are you teachable? Here's what 2 Timothy chapter 3 says. Paul writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says, listen, there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed. It literally comes from the breath of God and is useful one way or another. It shows us the truth. It exposes our rebellion. It corrects our mistakes. It trains us to live God's way. Through the Word, we're put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Coming to God's word with an open and teachable spirit. I know some of you have seen Joel Osteen on uh, television, and some of you are fans and some of you aren't, and you don't like what he said over here, but you like what he does over here. That's all fine and good. But let me tell you one of the most powerful things that Joel Osteen does. This is not a full endorsement. Did I walk that line fine enough? There we go. All right. Not a full endorsement. All right. Let me tell you one of the most powerful things he does. He begins every message. You've seen him if you do this on TV. He says, all right. Pick up your Bibles. And folks hold them up. All 32,000 people in that arena. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. I can do what it says I can do. And then they start this idea of being teachable. Today I will be taught the word of God. Today I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. And then in classic Joel Osteen smile, he says it again. Never, 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 never be the same. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. That's like classic Joel Osteen, all right? That's, that's how he does it. I haven't watched him or anything. I just read that somewhere. Um, so what he's doing there is he's reminding people that we can come teachable, all right? Now, now here, here's the last thing I want to say with you. We've talked about praying, fixing our thoughts, thinking wisely, valuing God's word. And the last one, though, is is the only one that kind of comes from a negative perspective. It's don't suppress the work of God's spirit in you. Don't suppress the work of God's spirit. The idea is that God's already working. Now, I know some of you don't know that because you're in in a rough situation, but God is already at work in your life. He's already at work in my life. He's already there. When you commit your life to Christ, he gives you the deposit of his Holy Spirit, and it's already working. It's already working in your life. And so part of the the challenge of participating with God in our sanctification process is just not to suppress what the Spirit wants to do. Now, for those old-timers who've been in church for a long time, the old King James phrase for expressing this was quench not God's Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't shut it down. So here's what the passage says to us. Let's see if we can pull one or two things out of it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 24. Don't suppress the Spirit, and don't stifle those who have a word from the Master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Don't have to believe everything you hear. Instead, check out everything, and keep only what's good, and throw out anything tainted with evil. 
And then Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, soul, spirit, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. And the one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. His words here are, don't suppress God's spirit. Now, this is a little speculative and subjective, but let let me just share it with you because I think you've lived long enough to have known what I'm talking about here, all right? You get these hunches, these, this sense that you should say something or do something or engage someone or help someone. And so what, what, what Paul's encouraging us to do here is, is not to just jump in and do it or say it, but to think through it, right? To, to evaluate it, consider it. And in considering it, open yourself up to the possibility that maybe God is prompting something in you, prompting you to extend you know, grace and appreciation to someone, prompting you to offer a kind and, and healing word to someone, prompting you to stop your car and help someone. In, in, in considering these promptings and evaluating them and pausing just long enough, what we're doing is we're participating with God. doesn't mean we're going to do them all. Some of them are foolish. Some of them are literally are the result of, of a bad meal you had, all right, or, or overly spicy food. Sure, absolutely, you get hunches and urges, right? But some of those things for the follower of Jesus is the bubbling up of God's spirit in your life. And the things that prompt you to be shaped more into God's image, to express God's love, to embrace God's truth, to work for the help and the, and the benefit of other people. Those things are almost always God prompting. And so we're asked to not suppress the work of God in our life by being open to his promptings. And so it's that word spoken that takes you a little bit of extra courage because it doesn't come natural. It's that activity you did. It's that money you gave to that person who needed it. That's the way to participate with God's prompting in your life. So we're we're taught in sanctification to work with God, to not wait on him to do it all, but to work with him in partnership, even though it doesn't all depend on us. And in that tension of our will and God's will coming together, we submit ourselves and we become more fully developing followers of Jesus. Now, can I tell you what I think is the most attractive force for a growing church The most attractive force isn't, although it's awesome, that a a growing church has a compelling worship program. Although we do, I mean, par excellence, right? It's not even, you know, uh, creative and compelling messages from a, a, a teacher or a pastor. I think the most compelling force in a church, in the community, is when there are individual followers of Jesus that make up that local church have the Holy Spirit's active work in their life, and they leave from this place energized, directed, and motivated by God's work in their lives. So that not just in the walls of this building, but outside these walls, people are truly living what it is to become a fully developing follower of Jesus. That's the most compelling force for the work of God in the world. Not just what happens in here, although we're going to take it seriously and we're going to spend our money on it. We're going to try to make it engaging and, and irresistible and compelling environments. But at the end of the day, individuals in those environments get ramped up 
by God's work in them, and they give themselves fully over to God. God, do all your work in me. I'm fully open for everything that you have. So with that said, let's take out our Connect card and take a few uh, steps together as a congregation. What your Connect card looks like, pastors Matt and Greg ask you to fill out your name and email on the front end. But right now, I want to give you a chance to, on the front of that page, take next steps A, B, C, D, or E. And next step A for us this week is that today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. If you'd like to do that, check the box and admit to God, I agree with what the Bible says about me. I'm a sinner, but I'm going to ask you, Jesus, to cover my sin and become the Lord, the leader of my life. If you want to check that box, we ask you to put the card in the offering bucket at the end of the service when it comes by. And then we're going to communicate with you. You're not joining our church. You're not committing uh, to give a bunch of money. None of that. We just want to communicate with you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Or how about next step B? Today, I'm choosing to be baptized. I'm choosing to be baptized. If you'll check that box, we'll answer your questions, get you signed up, and we'll celebrate the work of God that's already happening in your life. Or how about next step C? Memorize Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God change you, all right? Or how about next step D? Praying this prayer. This is one I'm praying every morning this week. God, make me a fully developing follower of Jesus. Shape me into the person you'd have me to be. God, make me a fully developing follower of Jesus and shape me into the person you'd have me to be. And next step B, you'll check this. I'll send you a Bible reading plan for 90 days. It says, next step B says, I'm in. I'm going to engage the Bible reading plan to learn and grow in my faith. It's a simple plan, 15 minutes a day. It'll come to you via email as long as we can read your email on the front of your card. All right, let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you have given us the deposit of your Holy Spirit. And you've begun a work in us and we can trust you to complete it. So God, right now I join with my brothers and sisters in this room and I ask you to show us what part you're going to do and let us take comfort and rest in that and to urge us and convict us by your spirit on the parts that we're responsible for. Praying and fixing our thoughts and being open and teachable and monitoring our environment. God, help us not to suppress the work of your spirit in our lives. I pray for each person that's declaring you to be their Savior and Lord. Help them to say, God, I'm a sinner. Cover me. Lead me. Forgive me of my sin. And Father, as we take communion right now, I pray that wherever we have spiritual need, wherever we sense want, that you would fill us up. Nourish us fully as an individual and as a congregation as we remember your sacrifice for us. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God, Amen and amen.